Hello, and welcome to Morgan Latif Presents. I'm Oliver Morgan, co-founder and director of Morgan Latif and your host. And today I'm joined by Christian Stickle to talk about the movement of ownership from private hand to private equity from the perspective of an incoming CEO. Christian has over 18 years international experience working in multinational corporations, including Hewlett Packard and Danaher. He spent over one and a half years living in America and has overseen factories in China. And as well as this, he's had recently four appointments as CEO when they've gone through a transition of ownership. He recently exited Caperoptronics, a PE-backed manufacturer of high-end vision systems. And in this discussion, he gives some valuable insights into some of the initial challenges CEOs face, such as poor customer retention, poor technical developments and cash flow management. But then some of the importance of many other topics, including managing shareholder expectations, good strategy deployment, of course, the leadership team involved, as well as some low hanging fruit. We hope you enjoy. Christian, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm feeling very honored to being part of this and uh, maybe contributing a little bit to the huge uh, collection of uh, uh, interviews that you have been doing here, which are really interesting. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. So um, what we're talking about today is uh, um, moving organizations from private hand to private equity. Um, and in particular, given your background and experience, the uh, um, the opportunities there from a, um, or an incoming CEO. Um, could you maybe set the scene a little bit about uh, what you think some of the, the challenges are for a, a CEO coming into that environment? Yeah, uh, maybe it would be good to, to uh, look at the situation before actually the private equity uh, gets uh, involved. And uh, uh, typically what happens, or that's actually also my experience is, uh, companies in private hands, they have the, the owner, possibly for decades, uh, the owner is usually a very strong personality. Uh, sometimes it's a group of owners and they've been shaping the company for a long period of time with all their personality, with everything they have. It's their life basically that you, you find there. With all goods and bads that, that is involved in here. And, um, so when, when the private equity comes in um, and the company is being sold, uh, you, you may have to expect a few things that are quite special challenges here. One is of course, um, the, the owner uh, is leaving a legacy of styles, of people he selected, of um, methodologies and structures that need to be looked at. And uh, they may sometimes not be uh to the book of what what you would expect from larger companies or where you would think best practices uh, uh are at the moment secondly um in if, if you honestly look in those those situations the, the the topic of succession is a very big topic at least uh, here in germany and i believe in uh, many other countries as well and uh, succession is not about always about finding the right guy to follow up as a successor, but it's also about the owner of letting go and uh, what, what this results in. Sometimes those owners let go quite late in the game. So they they have been dragging a little bit the decision because they it's, it's their baby. And um, what this leads to is you may find a situation where 
the company is already suffering from uh, uh, not having dealt with recent changes in the marketplace, with new challenges, with competitive situations and things like that. So there's, there's a backlog of things that may not even be visible to the new buyer of the company uh, immediately um, that you as an incoming CEO have to recognize and deal with. Um, and this may go all the way through different uh, phases and topics, uh, starting from customer retention, from business that's stalling, from possibly neg neglecting new technical developments that uh, have been overlooked um, and going all the way down to uh, uh, inventories and, and, and cash management issues, which private owners sometimes have a very different view about than uh, private equity companies uh, would expect. So you, 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 ha you have to expect and deal with these kinds of things which may not be visible and not be known at the time of due diligence. Now, I was going to say, do you not think, are these um, not always topics that would typically get picked up in the due diligence phase and then um, once identified, have the relevant CEO selected accordingly? This is actually, uh, I found in, in several cases, uh, uh, quite a challenge. You have to, to look, I'm, I'm not talking about companies which are more the small and medium-sized enterprises, not the big corporations. So usually they're working in, in some kind of niche, niche business, highly specialized, very successful in their niches. But those niches are too small to find real good public market intelligence. So all a potential buyer, an outside investigator uh, may have a secondhand information and some kind of things that, that may lead to conclusions, but they may not be ideally uh, hitting exactly this marketplace or this technology because public market analysis is uh, far too, too coarse for that, is not, not uh, meeting all these details. So it, at the end, uh, I've seen it that uh, in due diligence, it is very difficult from the outside to really look at the, at the sustainability uh, of market positions, at the sustainability or the forefront of technological developments inside the company and so on. It's not about looking at the books and, and the, the so-called data room, which is, uh, I think, very, very standard. It's more looking behind the scene to the soft factors. It's also looking at the personalities you find there. Uh, I have to say, typically, uh, company owners uh, or founders who've brought the company to a certain size over time, they all are very good salesmen. So they, they, they are used to sell the company uh, and uh, sell it to customers and sell it to buyers. And um, uh, so for them, it may look easy to convince a potential buyer, a private equity company or an investor, investor to, to look at the very bright future. But what I've also seen is that intuitively, those very same uh, owners also fee feel, uh, they may not be able to formulate, but they, they feel that it's time to leave because there is something coming up, which is uh, uh, possibly creating a difficult time in the company, like a big change in technology. For example, I, I had this case where digitalization uh, of certain uh, electronic circuits 
were uh, a major topic, uh, obsoleting basically the core competence of the company uh, uh, over time. So if there's no external market experts who are deep enough into this particular market segment, into this particular uh, uh, technology and uh, niche of the company, it may be difficult for outside uh, uh, persons who are in due diligence to really find all the uh, uh, these details. Right, okay. So what you're saying is there's oft, often with an in incoming CEO um, into these environments, there are potential pitfalls um, that they can come, come up against. And I guess that could lead to um, a misalignment in expectations between shareholders and um, what's actually possible. It, it may eventually lead to a, let's say, a second wake-up call. Uh, fact is basically that the incoming CEO in, in his first couple of days and months will have to do a much deeper due diligence from the inside than it was possible from the outside. So he will find some new truths. He will find some new uh, conclusions about uh, the company. It doesn't always have to be bad surprises, but uh, it, it may eventually be. And the big challenge, obviously, in, in those cases is that uh, uh, private equity has made up an investment plan. They have created their own business plan. Usually this business plan foresees 100% uh, or 50% organic growth within a certain uh, time window, plus M&A and additions and all these kinds of things. And now, now the the income, the incoming or a new CEO may be the bad messenger who now uh, has to inform uh, his shareholders about some hurdles on the way or some unexpected findings. And this certainly is a stretch to um, uh, to convey. And my personal recommendation, warning, really is to not hide it and to. Uh, uh, trying to be the miracle healer who, who, who deals with it uh, behind the scenes and eliminates all these issues. Because usually, if there are issues, they're too deep to, to uh, re remain unrecognized after time. Okay, so your advice would always be for the CEO to be transparent with the shareholders about the real situation rather than yes. pretending that they can achieve it. Especially at the beginning, my recommendation is, and my personal learning is, uh, uh, be be upfront, be open, and and get all the issues on the table and review uh, the business plan together with the shareholders and see what the consequences are. Um, later on, it falls on you as uh, on your performance as as uh, a CEO if if you have to deal with it. At the beginning, yeah, there is still this time window where you can possibly modify or discuss a little bit the objectives that you also had to had to sign up uh, in, in order to get the job. Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, apart from these potential technology gaps or um, let's say commercial gaps that the um, a CEO may face when, when coming into the situation, um, what might be some other challenges or, uh, or, or gaps? Maybe the main differences then between the uh, yeah. the original organization and uh, what private equity are moving for? Possibly there is uh, under each stone you turn, you, you may find some things that you need to touch eventually. But uh, I found that one of the most relevant 
gaps or most relevant issues to deal with is uh, strategy in itself. Um, this, this comes um, down to looking at, again, at the history of those companies and uh, typically those self-made owners, uh, founders of a company with all their pride and all their success over decades to build up a, a respectable company. Um, the, the, there is hardly ever a strategy process or, or an awareness about strategy. Those companies do have a strategy, but this is intuitively followed. It's not formulated. And in some cases, it's not even shared with, uh, with the staff because uh, what you also find in those companies is, is a pretty, many times a top-down culture. So the one person defines and decides most relevant things uh, by himself and delegates basically just the execution of it. So um, you have to be clear that uh, when, when a private equity company gets in, there are different expectations on growth, on value generation than there may have been before. So that requires different thinking and it also requires putting things on, on the test stand to, to see if, if the company is in, uh, in the right direction, uh, how positioning is. In, in one case, uh, I remember that uh, my predecessor, the, the founder of the company, he proudly told me that his strategy was to have no strategy, but right. rather <laughs> that when 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 a customer comes with a re uh, request and they could solve it, they did. And that was leading to a lot of successful engagements all over the places, from from medical technology to to uh, aerospace, to automotive, to uh, defense, to whatever, you name it. But uh, it, it was spread over the places and it was not scalable in itself. So uh there, there was really no awareness of strategy in that case and i found it in, in different cases as well where um, you had to go back and uh in, in the first step just do an as-is analysis putting things into structures and into words that what they what the company is currently doing it's not even reviewing or or assessing if that's the right strategy it's just uh again getting a snapshot on, on how the company is doing at the moment, what they're doing to put words around it. And then in the second step, you can work on it and see and review if, if these are all the right things to do and, and follow certain schemes um, to, to come to, to a conclusion what to do for the future then and what to do different in the future. Right, okay. So once as a CEO, when you're coming in, once you've um, really fully understood the, the current business situation, communicated clearly with um, the shareholders, um, that next phase is, is then really, once you've understood where are we, is defining a clear strategy, I guess, and that, that's an opportunity. How important is it to bring in the entire organization into that versus just the, the top management or doing it alone as the CEO? I think this is the key uh, uh, for a successful strategy is that uh, the whole company down to the cleaning woman uh, are embracing, are aware of the strategy and embracing the strategy that it's not some, some paperwork for investors and, and finance people, that it's, it's really something that is alive inside the company. So you need everybody. And 
I found that the best really is, uh, especially when you start on a low level with people who are not really experienced in working in, in, in strategy development, for them it's uh, sometimes uncomfortable and quite new because you're, you're move them out of the reactive into some more abstract uh, forward-looking um, uh, perspectives. Uh, to do it on, on a step-by-step -step basis and follow a, a certain structure. And uh, here, I really have to say, uh, despite myself smiling over it in previous times, that what, what worked best is you start with the purpose, with, with a very simple statement that, that embraces the whole company and work down through mission and vision, explain what that means, what this is, and let the whole company uh, participate across levels and across functions uh, in, in uh, generating this. Of course, you need also external expertise sometimes to really look in, and, and engage uh, on, on perspectives, market perspectives and positioning and things like that. But it's, to me, it was proving most important to, to really have the company engaging in this process because afterwards, it's, it's not the top-down uh, uh, process anymore. Everybody has his own perspective and ambition. And uh, this also leads to a lot more engagement and loyalty uh, of the whole staff if they've been participating, if it's their company, if it's their mission and not just something that some, some uh, strange people from above have, have uh, put in place. Yeah, I can imagine. Um... It must be a huge challenge because if they've not had a clear strategy before or um, if, if an organization has taken on any bits of business and uh, it must be quite fragmented, um, making that transition, um, there are obviously some clear challenges there. Um, and you've said in, engaging the, the workforce is a, is a key part of that. But how, what process do you, do you go through? How, how do you really decide in an organization um, like this, what to focus on? Well, um, uh, what to focus on, sometimes it's, uh, I would recommend to not trying to focus on completely new things that haven't been in the company before. Um, uh, so focusing in most cases means actually limiting or cutting things out uh, uh, to not do anymore in the future. So the big uh, challenge or dilemma uh, is uh, it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive to, to teach the whole organization do less to achieve more. So focus your resources, focus your staff, focus your expertise, have, make clear decisions about what is your in, in, internal uh, core competencies and what can be bought in from, from partners or from the outside. And um, I'm usually working from the outside in. So from the customers, from market, looking into the company and at the end, looking really into internal procedures. But um, there's one, one lesson I learned uh, early and it's a very simple uh, lesson actually uh, for success in companies. That is, if, if you don't lose sight of customer benefits and if you don't lose sight on staff development, profit and success will be the uninvertible um, um, side effects of it. So you don't need to worry about that if, if you do this well. And so even in strategy development, if you start from the outside in looking at where you are in the marketplaces, what are the external environmental conditions, 
empowering position there and then work your way into the company and and looking at internal strength and uh, at, at your resources at uh, possibilities and also at uh, the emotional ambitions of people you need some level of passion you need some level of loyalty to to make things successful and if if you find uh, for certain topics that there's a pushback there's reasons for it, even if they cannot explain exactly. And then it's, it, it, it might, may be difficult to push through that. Sometimes it may be necessary, but usually I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah, I can, uh, I can imagine. And then I mean, the people element, obviously in my role is something that I find, um, find particularly interesting and we'll, we'll certainly yeah. move on to that. I think though, just thinking about that strategy piece still, you. Um, are talking about potentially turning down business and um, not taking projects, um, which again may also seem counterintuitive. How, how do you get the organization to, to understand um, why that's important? I think once you've formulated your strategy and, uh, and got the, the principle buy-in from, let's say, the majority of staff and from the people uh, who have uh, responsible positions, I think then it, it is very important to always uh, resort back to that, what you formulated in the strategy and every move and everything, because there, there will be seducing requests from customers and opportunities to follow which are deviate, deviating uh, directly from what you defined as your focus and strategy and indeed it takes it takes also courage for the ceo to say no to obvious business at hand because uh, it, it may be the short-term success the short-term income uh, and uh, but it keeps you from following your strategy and developing what you need and what you had in your plans for strategy and this is something that indeed is is a bit counterintuitive where i find uh, what it takes is always bringing it down back to strategies and this is what we decided together this is what we're following now we have decided also to let go of, of different things left and right of that route and uh, and uh, don't don't be too strict but uh, you have to you have to keep the the targets the, the long-term target always in in their minds and remember and uh, and i think it's it's the steady uh working the steady drop that is finally hollowing the stone and uh and getting the whole organization to move in the right direction yeah i can imagine as well having a clear purpose mission vision um and having the employees and, and leadership involved in um being part of the, the creation of that um, and having that to fall back on is is extremely important in those situations that might come up. Yeah. Let's move to the staff then. Let's move to, to talking about the, um, the the people element in, in this. What, what is important here? I found uh, with, which also was a bit uh, something that I learned over the over the experience, uh, having been in that situation in several companies, that what you find in in the, the staff, uh, in the people, actually is reflected mostly also in the CEO, in the in the uh, departing CEO and founder who has shaped the company. His personality, his way of hiring people, his way of managing people, of controlling people, are 
have created a certain corporate culture and uh, that kind of corporate culture is very very specific to the person so uh, for me it was very useful if if i had the chance to get to know uh, my predecessor and uh, being able to discuss and work with him um, and in a very early stage to really understand uh, also about the mindsets and the way people think and react in the company it's basically in some cases the dna and then of course uh, as different as these persons are as different the whole corporate corporate culture may be and and also reacting to a new ceo here i have seen all the the classical uh, let's say pitfalls from that people think finally the the old man is leaving and now everything's changing to the better and uh, so you're confronted with uh, extreme positive expectations that may be very difficult to fulfill at, at least uh, all at the same time those people they, they were longing for change they were longing for something unblocking certain things that they're seeing my, my finding is uh, there's much more intelligence and knowledge intrinsic wisdom and knowledge in in people if they are still loyal to the company if they identify themselves with their workplace and so on one side you, you may be confronted with expectations that that you have to to moderate and manage on the other side i've also seen that uh, that you you start lifting the lid of the pot and and nobody stood up nobody came and took over the initiative because they were all kind of ducking and still staying in cover because uh, whoever did that before was fired or yeah. got into trouble and uh, and this all goes really back to the personality that was there before and was leading the company before and and here there's no no general recipe you really have to work with the people listen and, and trying to understand where they come from and uh, uh, and then take your conclusions about how to how to change the organization or how to develop the organization i had a client before it was another german client actually and um they uh, drew a picture of a caged lion um and they said uh, that this was the historical um version of the organization and he said now we've taken the cage away physically but the cage is still there mentally and uh he yeah. said people still feel like they're living in this cage and uh, that they are restricted and we're trying to create this autonomy and upwards thinking and uh, proactivity and he said it's actually quite a difficult um it's, it's all about the people it's about changing their mindset changing yes. their perception so um it yeah. must be an interesting challenge and it's it, it it is it's it's very rewarding when when you're on the way uh, but it also takes time uh, you can't expect this to change overnight or in, in a very short time and it, it also depends really on on also on, on who, who have have been hired there i had one case where the change of, of ownership the change of of leadership was actually a, a big act of liberation and people with when you looked at their written cvs had a had a not really exciting history suddenly uh, bloomed and and came to life and and had very very good developments and 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 performance but I also had the exact opposite case where I, I was wondering uh, why they still stood in 
in in almost like in stiffness and 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 not not daring to do anything and and this this is basically you you probably will find out very quickly uh, what what you have to deal with but it's it's very important uh, to to find out how to develop the, the organization into the next level then whilst we're talking about people i want to i want to focus a little bit on leadership um and there may not be a right or wrong answer here but in, in your experience are the leadership teams required to be successful in private equity owned organizations um the same as as in private ones i think in private equity environments uh the expectations are a little bit different than in private organizations in in several ways one is uh, the business model of a private equity company is to acquire a company to develop to grow a company uh, mostly also through additions and then to sell a company mm. so the, the 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 time window where things have to happen is limited and sometimes uh, that may not fit with the business model of the company so when when the the investment cycles inside the company are really long then either you have to to take all these steps at the very beginning or you may slip out of the the investment window of the private equity um i also believe that uh, uh private equity companies are typically not driven by engineers and if you look at privately owned companies you you will find that uh, the owners mostly are from engineering or from from some kind of more the product or uh, related and not the financial not the financial side but more the product and technology side so um i think it's it's a big change uh, here inside the company to look first of all you have to look for uh, financial transparency much much more you have to to build up a completely different reporting to private equity companies than you would do just for yourself uh, secondly um, of course there's more visibility on financials there's more visibility on on those ebit numbers and um, uh, that that is a different environment and if if you're if if you're working as a ceo in those companies you have to be aware of course that uh, uh, the, the priorities and preferences of pri private equity companies are the financial data they 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 may not be too interested into the strategic uh, movements inside the company. They just want to see the returns. Mm -hmm. And that's different to uh, privately owned companies where it's it's a lot more about strategy, about customer success, but not, not necessarily at immediate return, but also more building the long-term future. When you talk about financials, I mean, I've had situations of um, um, private family-owned companies that um, have been taken over and let's say they have five plants reporting into the owner the the individual plant managers have no idea if their plant is profitable or not because their yeah. financial data is hidden so uh, um that then from a leadership perspective like there's a huge amount of upskilling to be able to like yes. you said report and, and develop so i guess there's a, a, a balance there yeah, and it's also about sharing responsibilities down so uh, basically uh, getting the level of responsibility of your direct reports and the people underneath uh, up so it's not all on the shoulders of the ceo alone but that that uh, department leader 
is aware of his own responsibilities and gets also the freedom to to act and move within his responsibilities rather than just executing on commands that come from from above yeah absolutely yeah very much so so we've talked about then the um uh, having the shareholder alignment and the strategy um and purpose vision mission uh, complete and, and then the, the people on board um, are there any low-hanging fruits areas where incoming CEOs tend to get some quick wins? Yeah, I've I, I had my let's say my learning about uh, low-hanging fruits when I was working with Danaher and uh, the Danaher business system, which I, I don't know, I believe is quite well known. It's it's very close to the Toyota production system and. I found in, in almost all cases that uh, low-hanging fruit you will always find when you come into a, this kind of uh, situation, transition situation with new ownership. If you look at your operational processes on efficiencies, um, um, basically doing some kind of lean conversion in, in operations. With operations, I mean supply chain, I mean uh, uh, production, logistics, and all these kinds of functions. This is where I typically found uh, the low-hanging fruit and the, the, the quick achievements, the quick wins, uh, freeing up inventory, freeing up cash uh, from inventory, uh, streamlining processes. Like you mentioned before, if there are factories that where uh, nobody knows from each other, there is a huge potential of synergies. Uh, and also looking at um, insourcing, outsourcing uh, type of questions. Uh, uh, I think that this is one of the places where there's also well-developed script books, how to doing that. There's a lot of best practices that you can employ where you can find external help to, to accelerate the process. And this, this is actually something, uh, uh, it, it will not save the future of the company, but it actually uh, frees up cash and, and gets a lot of um, uh, operational benefits on the, in the near term and uh, uh, with direct uh, in, in the performance of the company. Yeah, yeah, I can, uh, I can imagine. Um, I think uh, there are so many changes we're talking about here and so many different parties and expectations. Um, and, and it's been driven from, from from the shareholders primarily, but can you make these changes too quickly based on your experience? Uh, I think there's a risk uh, to make changes uh, too quickly before you actually really deeply understand the organization. Um, I can give you an example and one of, of my companies I took over uh, for an American um, uh, big corporation who just acquired the family-owned business in Germany. They came with a 30, 60, 90-day integration plan. And um, I was, luckily enough, I could convince or, or uh, talk them into a one, two, three-year uh, integration plan. The first year for, for the really, the, the rough stuff, uh, that involved, for example, uh, closing and transferring one factory from Ireland to China and doing other things which have put it, had the potential of being highly disruptive. The second year was uh, uh, dealing with what you've done in the first year and smoothing the waves and getting everything to work and, uh, fine. The third year was the year of the real operational synergies between the, the, the mother house and, and uh, our company. 
and it was one of the financially most successful integrations uh, they've ever done in Europe. But it, it shows a little bit uh, uh, that sometimes expect expectations from, from investors and what, what is best practice or what is doable uh, uh, diverge. And it, it's a stretch. It, it requires a certain skill to, to manage expectations, to not withhold with some of the unpopular truths, maybe, but still push forward. And at the end, it's the currency a CEO is living on is the confidence and trust shareholders have in him. And this mm. is this is the most important to always uh, uh, be sure that you work enough on on the kind of backup you need from from your financial uh, resources and the uh, and the shareholders to move on. It's almost like a tightrope balance between keeping the shareholders yes. happy and keeping the business engaged and, and on board. Yes. And it's not a surprise why so many uh, incumbent CEOs fail initially um, after that it's, transfer of ownership. It's 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 one of the things. Uh, one one private equity uh, manager told me one time, and it was a fairly rough statement. I found he said basically, it almost doesn't matter who you hire as the first CEO after a succession, because you will burn him out anyway. It's the second one that counts at the end. Uh, it, it, it sounds cynical, uh, but it highlights certainly uh, the level of challenges uh, CEO in, in that kind of transition situation is facing. Because at the end, my experience was that there's almost no stone being unturned uh, uh, after a while. The, the major question is, where do you start and what second and third in, in the role? Yeah, absolutely. And based on your experience, of, um... Uh, you talk about where to start and how to accelerate that pace of change and, and keep people on board. Have you got any tips that you might share um, to others in your situation that, that you found uh, beneficial? Well, I, I don't believe that there is one one major recipe. Uh, uh, the first, uh, it, it, it sounds uh, very, very simple, but uh, two ears, one mouth is, is always good. Uh, listen more than you speak uh, and try to understand um, the first impression sometimes is not the, the true impression. Uh, there's uh, behind the surface, there's a lot more to discover and to understand before you really can take decisions that have consequences. Um, I also find that uh, it's, it's always about people. It's, uh, it's everything, uh, the relation to customers, uh, the, the internal performance, the internal efficiency. It's all about how people communicate about how how things work between people inside the company. Uh, here, typically, I found, for example, that uh, the biggest loss of efficiency, the biggest loss of quality and information is not within one department, one, one branch of the company. It's on the, on the interface front between two departments, between two functions where things get lost. So it's not necessarily within the development department, but it's how development department deals with, let's say, supply chain or how product management is dealing with sales on one side or with uh, development on the other side, where things get lost, where, where uh, uh, things have to be dealt with and, and fixed at the end. I do see a lot of siloed organizations, yeah. um, especially in, in family-owned businesses. Um, in, in private equity, is it really uh, beneficial to break down those silos? Um, if we're talking about the, the, 
the deal cycles um, in terms of timeframes? Uh, it's, it's a very good question. And I'm afraid I don't have one smart answer to that because it, it depends on so many things. I myself, I'm not the complete uh, proponent or friend of matrix organizations. Matrix organizations are usually a, a compromise where you don't have critical mass to have everything everywhere. Uh, so uh, sharing resources uh, like in a matrix uh, may be the right thing to do. However, again, it's counterintuitive. It's difficult to implement because it, it requires a change of behavior of people and uh, a change also that it requires the acceptance of ambiguity. So you may have two bosses. Uh, those two bosses may not pull in the same direction sometimes. And you, you have to deal with those situations and you have to, to get the whole organization resilient to, to this kind of field of tension. Um, so uh, silos need to be broken, yes. Uh, the question is, uh, how can you do it? And it, it depends on the size of the company, the size of the, of, of the departments or the, the areas inside the company. Uh, so it's, uh, at the end, it's really about uh, the, the, the analog behavior between people that need to be changed. And here again, I'm, I'm coming back to strategy. If you have a strategy, if you have a mission and vision that everybody's embracing, it's, it's actually the soil that things can grow on because uh, if you make it always uh, getting back into their awareness why they're doing things and what the, the ultimate purpose is, it, it's much easier to, to ask things that may have been counterintuitive before or not in the habits of people before. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've touched on it as well when, when we talked about the, um, the, the top-down approach, really hierarchical and, yeah. and, and, and flattening hierarchies. I think um, in the future, we'll see a lot of convergence and, and blurred lines between functions in an organization. And I think yeah. that's a positive thing. I think the um, more collaboration and, like you said, communication and um, I, I think yes. ultimately fewer siloed functions is, is what we'll see in the future. Yeah, the, 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 the best practices of, of agile uh, developments and so help in that because these are dynamic teams that are keeping recon being reconfigured uh, based on situations and phases of projects and so on. This certainly will help also to create more flexibility and less rigidness in organizations that you still may have. Absolutely. And we've still got a long way to go, especially in the uh, some of the industrial yeah. sector and uh, um, larger, larger life science businesses I've seen. Yes. It's, uh, it's a huge opportunity there. It is, and it's it's also it's I've I've found it always rewarding and fun to seeing how organizations can change over time. And uh, to me, in uh, uh, sometimes it it feels when you're right in the middle of the situation, down to your elbows in some some daily issues. You, you, you may get uh, frustrated and feel that, uh, well, things are not moving, things are, are slow, it's, it's tough, it's, it's kind of like glue. But when you, after a while, look back, then uh, my experience was, I was always surprised how much has actually been achieved in a fairly over, overseeable time and uh, how things have been developing. And, and uh, when I even look back now in those companies that I worked before, and see that uh, what we did at that time was really uh, something that still 
pays uh, in, in, into the existence of the company today. So uh, uh, really sustainable uh, decisions and developments at that time. Yeah, I can imagine. I was, I was thinking that we're, we're covering all of the uh, the challenges and some of the obstacles that, that might be uh, be faced, but but ultimately there's the, the rewards. Um, thinking like, why would anybody want to, to do this? But you, you just highlighted nicely, that actually there is so much um, that you can achieve in, in such yeah. a situation. It is, and it's, it's also seeing how people develop. Uh, this is something that I personally is, is uh, filling me with pride when, when I really see that people who actually have been growing beyond what they ever imagined uh, they could do by themselves and, um, and who, are, who bought into this also and not just uh, going with the flow but who really took on the challenges and, uh, and grew beyond what they thought they are. And, that's, and, and that applies to organizations sometimes as well yeah absolutely i can imagine christian thank you so much for this discussion today it's um been really really interesting and i think especially with coronavirus uh, um although we've got vaccines in the uh um uh, in the future there's still gonna be so many companies that are going through this change of ownership unfortunately yeah. so it's a particularly interesting are, are there maybe some key takeaways you can share with us that um, our viewers and listeners should, should keep in mind? Well, um, I think number one is it's always about the people. And so it's, it's the people inside the company. It's also the people pre previously owning the company and obviously the people owning the company right now. It's, it's, it's about them. It's about the potential expectations and everything you, you need to keep in balance and manage there and, and find your way to, uh, to, to have a successful development uh, uh, and, and evolution of a company. Um, it's, it, it involves culture change and culture doesn't work without people buying in and people changing their behavior. Yeah? And um, so, so that's, that's the first. The second really would be expect the unexpected. When you start in a company, it may look completely different from the outside than when you're in. You will find things, you, you, you may find positive surprises, you will find things that uh, you can expect trouble that you haven't seen from the outside, that nobody has seen from the outside, uh, that hasn't even been in their awareness before. Um, so uh, you have to, to deal with that and, and again, get into expectation management uh, here. And the third is, uh, which, may make it a little bit easier if you look at the history of the company and the personality of the previous owner. If it's a classical succession, if it's a secondary buyout from one PE to another, uh, things look very different. But uh, if it's a classical succession where you, you had a company owner, possibly uh, founding the company, creating the company, and, and then uh, running the company and, and growing it uh, for the last couple of decades, then you can expect to, to read from his personality a lot from what you can expect inside the company. And it, it helps to understand where people are and what, what is necessary to, to do to move things uh, inside the company. These, these are basically the three things and then the, all the rest is very individual. I mean, every company is different and every situation is different. So it's a big learning from, from almost ground zero every time again. Yeah, I can imagine. 
Um, that's something that, that I'll take away is sometimes it helps to look back a little bit at the, the past owner in order to be successful moving forward. Um, so yeah. uh, appreciate that insight. Thank you so much again uh, for your My time. Pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.